Now, confession is good for the soul, and uh, I confess before you that I misunderstood the passage of scripture that I was to be considering this morning. I thought it was, certainly I'm in the right chapter, chapter 23, but I'm only going to be looking at the first 12 verses uh, of this chapter. So, um, where the Lord himself gives a description of the character of false teachers. So let us read the words of Matthew chapter 23 and the first 12 verses. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat to so practice and observe whatever they tell you, but not what they do, for they preach but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries, uh, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honour at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher. And you're all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Amen. The Lord will add a blessing to this, his holy word that I've read in our presence this morning. Now this is the last message, the last public message that our Lord gave to the people of Israel. And like last words are important, aren't they? It's almost as though they're more weighty. And this, the last words that our Lord gave to the people of Israel, and particularly the people who are gathered in Jerusalem, is not a message, is not a sermon about salvation it's not, a, it's not a sermon about the significance and the importance of resurrection but rather it's a, a sobering message it's about the condemnation of false teachers and in this passage that we're going to be considering this morning the Lord gives us, gives us a, an outline indicate us how it is that we are to recognise false teachers and then beginning from verse 13 and following it is the, the judgment the, 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 the ensuing judgment that will befall these false teachers so it's a very sombre thing it's a very, it's a very sad and depressing message at, at one level but it gives the, brings to the very forefront of our mind the subject the weighty subject of false teaching now false teaching is um, not new. Nothing is new under the sun. Really began at Babel. You know where, where, where the people were saying, you know, rather than, than obey God and spread throughout all the, 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 the world, let us build a tower. And the people of Babel heeded the teaching of these false teachers and they built or they attempted to build a tower. Or well, Pharaoh surrounded himself 
with, with uh, sorcerers and magicians and they gave him instruction they, they, they told him what to do the people of Ezekiel's day in Ezekiel chapter 13 verse 3 the word of God describes them as being foolish prophets following their own spirits and, and these people who have seen nothing and yet it was these people who are instructing the kings of Judah and also the people of Israel. These people who are imagining things and telling the people what to do. They're common in Paul's day. Galatians chapter 1 verse 6. That Paul was amazed that, that you were turning away so, so soon from him who called you to the grace of Christ to a different gospel. Of how the elders of Ephesus met Paul at Miletus. And in chapter twenty verse in Acts chapter twenty verse twenty-nine, we find this that Paul would say that after my departure, savage wolves will come in not sparing the flock, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples. And there Paul was instructing the oversight, no, you've got to watch out for these wolves. These these wolves who are dressed in sheep's clothing. And they will try to draw away um, the church, the people of God. And so this is a responsibility for the oversight to discern those who are speaking falsely in the name of the Lord and not to give them an audience what's at all. However, that does not absolve the individual from identifying and recognising who a false teacher is. And I think instruction is given to us in Acts chapter 17 verse 11 where the Bereans were described as being more fair-minded than the Thessalonians. How? Because they received the word of God with all readiness and searched the scriptures to see whether these things that Paul spoke about was true. So yes, it's a responsibility for the oversight to discern those who are false and not to give them an audience. But it's also true for everyone of the household of faith. To search the scriptures, to decide and to discern whether the things that they preach are true. So important for us. And here in a passage this morning of how it is that the Lord gives instruction as to how to identify. But this morning it's not so much the words that they speak, the words that they preach and teach, but rather we identify them by their practice. So let us look at how we can identify those who are false. The first point is this, <coughs> verse 2, that they're self-appointed. The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. Or I prefer how the New American uh, Standard would translate this. Of how they have seated themselves. They have not been appointed by God at all. But rather they have placed themselves in the chair of Moses. In the seat of Moses. Now it was to, to Moses that God gave the law on Mount Sinai. Of how, of how Moses met God face to face as it were. And of how the Lord gave to him the law of God. And it was then Moses gave to the people of Israel the law that God had given 
to him on the top of Mount Sinai. And he was, in a sense, the supreme lawgiver in the eyes of the people of Israel. So here we have these scribes and Pharisees. And they've seated themselves. They've taken the, the, the place of Moses. They're saying that my word is final. It's interesting the word there for, for, for chair. Cathedra. You know, whenever the Pope would state something of ecclesiastical authority, it's described as being an ex-cathedra statement. This is the final word. Nothing can be added to this. And so therefore we have a sense of the authority that these false teachers uh, would, would place upon themselves. Now a stinging rebuke is given by the Lord to these people in verse 13. These people who claimed to have the authority of Moses, who claimed to have full ecclesiastical authority, that they were God's people, that they were God's spokesmen, well, the Lord would say to them, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter in to go in. This is the outcome of false teaching. The outcome of false teaching is to damn the soul. Nothing is more weighty than that. And so the Lord Jesus Christ in this weighty sermon, in this weighty last public message he gives to the people of Israel, he's saying, listen, listen. You know, after my departure, you know, savage wolves will come. That They're here in our midst just now and they're dressed as scribes and they're dressed as Pharisees. Now when I was thinking about the weight of of these people, the perceived weight that they had, you know, the sense that they have sat themselves in Moses' seat. You know, let's think about ourselves. Those of us who are of the household of God. What weight? Do we have any weight? Well, we do. You know, as we go out preaching the gospel message in whatever shape or form we choose to do so, we have the full weight of heaven behind us. I think that's important to remind ourselves of. Well, for in Matthew chapter 28 verse 18, the Lord would say, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority has been given to me. And so therefore, as a result of this, the weight of what Christ would say, Go therefore to the disciples, he says. And preach the gospel. And that is true for us today. It's as true for the disciples in, in Christ's day as what it is for us today. We have the full weight of heaven. We have the authority of heaven. Nothing that we don't have this authority appointed to us by ourselves, but rather we have the authority granted to us by heaven itself. And I find in Luke chapter 10 these words, you know, regardless of the response of man you know, as the Lord would send the disciples out in, in, in Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of heaven some would accept yes but, but many would reject true but re regardless of people's response what did the Lord say in Luke chapter 10 verses 9 and 11 that the kingdom of heaven has come near to you 
This is the authority that we have. It's up to the Lord for, 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 for um, the results to manifest themselves. But we have an authority from heaven. And Peter and John <clears throat> had a sense of that. They refused to be silenced. You know, in Acts chapter 4, you know, the, the, the disciples, Peter and John, were ushered before the, um, the priests and they were commanded not to speak. And what did they say? They refused to be silenced. They refused to be silenced. They, they did not place their own well-being out of any regard, but they had, an, they had a responsibility to bring forth the gospel to the people of the world. We have that same authority. I think it's also, when we consider this, it's important for us to understand who we are. These false teachers placed themselves in the seat of Moses, self-appointed. But who are we? Who are we? Well, our identity is found in Christ. We are, through faith in Christ, we are children of the living God. That heaven is our home. That we have been chosen by God before the foundation of the world. That the Lord God in our mother's womb of how he skillfully wove our talents and our characteristic traits. Skillfully in our mother's womb. Perfectly blended. <clears throat> and also when we came to faith in Christ we've been granted this unique palette of, of giftedness. We are who the Lord had meant us to be. And we've been created for good works. This is our identity. This is something that we haven't imagined. But we are who we are by the grace of God. By the foreknowledge of God. Perfect in that sense. Chosen to serve. To walk that path of righteousness. To preach the gospel of Jesus Christ I think it's important be remiss of me to bypass this point but in verse 3 we have a sense of the authority of scripture where we read that so practice and observe whatever they tell you and here the Lord Jesus Christ is emphasising the authority of the word of God now I'm not suggesting at all that what the false, false teachers preached was, was, was correct. It wasn't. Clearly that's not the case. But like a stop clock, it tells, us, it tells the correct time twice in a day. The same is true for these men as they preached. Some of what they said was true. And so therefore, just like the holy words that we sang about, you know, these words can change me. Well, what is our response? What must our response be to the living word of God? Well, we're told, aren't we? So practice and observe. That when these men would say something that is in accord with the truth of Scripture, what is our response? Well, the only response 
is that we so do as a matter of urgency and we continue to observe thereafter. That is so important. When is the last time when we sat under the authority of the word of God? When is the last time when we read the word of God that we found in our lives that that's come short? Did we immediately change our behaviour? Did we do and then continue to follow that? That's a question I ask myself and that's a question that I ask you folks this morning. And I think we have all lost something of the wonder of these ancient words that we have just sang about. I've maybe given this illustration before but St Anthony was an early Christian monastic and he had such a reputation of godliness and piety that three successive Roman emperors would write to him and you can imagine the pomp and the ceremony of how you know that I don't know how many people soldiers would have would have would have followed the messenger and, and, and just had the imperial stamp of Rome and, and where's St Anthony? Well where is Anthony the monk? And and, and and history tells us that Anthony would never rush to the door, but rather someone else would would would, would, would hand Anthony um, the letter written by these emperors. And Anthony would say, Do not be astonished if an emperor writes to you, for he is but a man. Rather wonder that God wrote the law for men and has spoken to us through his son. We all have multiple copies of the word of God in our homes. Have we lost something of the wonder that this is a message from God? Have we lost something of the authority of the word of God that that as we're instructed from the word of God that we do and observe? I was reading uh, recently a book written by Alistair Begg and he gave this illustration. He asked the question, how do we respond to the word of God after we've heard it? How do we? How do we respond to the word of God after we've heard it? Well, when we have a meal, we give thanks for it, don't we? We say, thank you, Lord. And after it, and after we have ate the meal, we give thanks to our host or to your wife. Thank you for preparing this meal. That is good manners. In the same way, as we read the word of God in whatever shape or form, whether it be at home or at church, In the same way we ought to pray before we receive this word that changes us. And also to pray after it when we have received it. Even though it may not necessarily be to our palate. And you know I think, when I think of uh, the parable of the sower. Of how the word of God is sown and... Satan comes along and, 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 and takes away the seed that's on rocky ground, you know, and it's gone. I, I, can, I ask my own heart, after I have heard the word of God spoken, 
what do I then immediately do? Do I speak to the person next to me and say, you know, go into the secular immediately, or do I pray, Lord, shape me and transform me? These words that can potentially change me. I think it's so important to recognise the authority of the Word of God. These false teachers are found to be unsympathetic, verse 4. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Now these false teachers of how they muddied the waters of entrance into the kingdom of heaven. You know, as I read, you shut up the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. Well, how did they do that? Well, rather than rely upon the grace of God, rather than look to, to the Lord in faith for dealing with, your, with their individual sins, they said, well, the way of entrance into the kingdom of heaven is by adherence to a, a whole plethora of man-made laws. To trust in yourselves rather than to place faith in God to deal with your, th- with your sins. And so these individuals, of how they laid upon the shoulders of these, or the individual Israelites, a burden that was too heavy to bear. And he pictures, he draws a picture of a beast of burden, and of how this beast of burden is is loaded up with with a, with a vast weight upon its back. And its knees are almost buckling under the strain and the owner is doing nothing at all to help. Well, this is exactly how the false teachers were. They were oblivious, they were unsympathetic, they were not concerned at all about the weight upon the shoulders of these people. They were oblivious to the difficulty that their false teaching placed them under. Now let's apply that to ourselves. We can all recognise, we all identify with the fact that to live the Christian life is difficult. You know, Paul would describe it as being, of how we're all engaged in warfare, spiritual warfare, of how, describe, of how the, the Christian life is described as being a hard-working farmer, or of how it's an athlete straining toward the finishing line every sinew and every fibre is placed under pressure to live a Christian life is difficult as we daily combat the incessant battle with sin within our own lives as we deal, as we preach the word of God as we seek to, to minister for Christ you know, we are, it's wearisome because we're engaging with the spiritual forces of darkness and wickedness it's not for us to be unsympathetic for others. It's not for us to be unconcerned or, or, or to remove ourselves from other situations in life. It's difficult. We all face these barriers. We all face these difficulties. We must be actively engaged in the life of others. And for that, you know, you've made a good choice this morning not to listen to me, but rather you've made a a good choice to to meet with like-minded people, 
to not forsake the assembling together. You know, we've all been uniquely gifted by the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God will minister through you to others, and the, minister, and the, and the Spirit of God will minister fr- uh, fr- from others to myself. It's a bilateral thing. It's vital for a Christian growth and for a Christian development that we do not forsake the assembling, that we meet together to be involved in people's life stories. But also to pray for one another. To pray for one another. I can do nothing better for you as an individual than to pray for you. Through faith in Christ to place a a hand upon the throne of God if you like. And it's not for me just to to bless so-and-so. No, how did Paul pray for the church at Ephesus? A church that was under attack, a church where persecution was, was very real. Paul would pray that the believers at Ephesus would be granted a, a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That these believers in Ephesus would have a a sense of the hope of their calling. That yes, life on earth is difficult. Very difficult. But it's worth it because of this hope of of the calling that I have. And yes, I'm weak and I'm impotent. But but Paul would pray that that, that, that these folks at Ephesus would have a sense of the surpassing greatness of power that was available to to them. This same power that raised Christ from the dead. That Paul would later pray in Ephesians chapter 3 that, 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 that the believers at Ephesus would have a sense of the length and breadth and depth and height of what? The love of God. So that their hearts would be enlarged out of love for Christ and love for others. That yes, I, out of love for Christ and love for others, I, I, I will continue to live this difficult life. This is what Paul prayed for. This is what we ought to be praying for one another. Not just to bless one another. Well, he's blessed us already. He is with us already. Don't be lazy, but to engage with our God. So important. These false teachers would also love, also love the praise and the acclaim of man. Verses 5 to 7. They did all their deeds to be seen by others. They made their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. You know, the, these were the small leather boxes containing four fragments for, set, for, for pieces of scripture. Of Exodus chapter 13 verses 1, 1 to 16, Deuteronomy 6 verses 4 to 9 and chapter 11 verses 13 to 21. And they put them under the foreheads and, and t- tied them around the wrists. But they'd externalise the whole thing. The purpose, what, 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 what the Spirit of God was getting at in these, in these portions of Scripture was this. That you've got to internalise the Word of God. That you've got to think God's thoughts. That the, 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 the hand which is what you do, that you do the works of God in, in your life. Well they thought the way to get around this was just to, to have these phylacteries and very prominent. To wear them all the time uh, around your forehead and... and um, Round your hands and to have your tassels long to put on a show 
Nothing wrong with having a tassel on your clothes, that the Lord Jesus Christ himself did that. Matthew chapter 9 verse 20. But they, they made this a public show. To show how good and righteous and how pious they were. To be highly regarded by man. And so as a result of that, to have preferential treatment. To love the place of honours at feast, the best seats in the synagogues. And the greetings in the marketplace has been called rabbi by others. The Lord tells us in Matthew chapter 6 verse 2 that these folks have their reward in full. They wanted to be highly regarded by man and, and they put a lot of, lot, lot of effort into that. However, it is for us to have the long view. To look to the Lord to say on that day, well done, good and faithful servant. How are we to do that? How are we to live a life that is not that is not necessarily acclaimed by man, although we can all think of, of people who have came upon our path and uh, by their godly influence have shaped and transformed our life. I'm not saying anything to the contrary. But how is it that we will want that, that, that potentially we can hear the words well done good and faithful servant well, I think Horatio Bonner gives us an insight and he says this holiness is not measured by one single heroic act or mighty martyrdom but rather it is of the small things that a great life is made up of of the small things but not small in the eyes of God how do we respond to the word of God verse 3 do we do and practice that's a challenge that is what greatness is in the sight of God to so do and continue to observe and put it into practice in your life. William Temple, Archbishop of Canterbury, Canterbury 1942 to 1944, said with insight, Your religion is what you do in private. What are our private lives like when no one is watching? Are we men and women who devote ourselves to the word of God? Are we men and women who devote ourselves to the discipline of prayer? Are we men and women who, who give ourselves to good works for the glory and honour of our great God and Saviour? Or do we just pursue our own selfish lusts and ambitions? Our religion is what you do in private a great challenge where do we all fit in verses 8 to 12 I'll just speak this say this very very quickly is it not wonderful verse 8 that we're all brothers and sisters we're all part of the family of God through faith alone in Christ alone None of us call nobody rabbi, but we're all brothers. 
we all ha- we're all at the same level I think it's wonderful we all have one father in heaven can't get any higher standing than that we are, ch- we are a child of God through faith in Christ God is our father we are his children verse 10 we have one instructor the Christ no better teacher than he you know, when, when, when we read the word of God understanding that this is a book from outer space, space if you like these things that can only be supernaturally appraised it's so important that we pray Lord open my eyes that I may see help me to understand what these words would have to say give me the grace to observe them in my life and the result of that those who have grasped the truth of scripture will become servants of all it should be a battle to the bottom for the true child of God not <coughs> to battle yourselves up you know using your knees and your, and your elbows to, to, to jostle your way to the top but really for the child of God greatness is by becoming a servant of all how did Christ reveal that to the disciples in the upper room he took the lowest place he washed the disciples feet took the lowest the place of the lowest servant this is greatness to be a servant of all it can only be done by the grace of God and by us doing and observing what the word of God would have to teach let us pray the gracious God as we bow before you uh, today uh, we think of how the things that we have read and spoken about of how they are sombre there must have been a stinging rebuke to the ears of the Pharisees and the scribes who are listening or who are in the close proximity of you speaking now Lord it's for us to hear your voice it's for us to remind ourselves that through faith in Christ that we have been given a divine mandate to preach the gospel if it's for us to understand the, the authority of the word of God to do and observe if how we confess before you that to live a Christian life for your glory and honour is difficult hard and possible we all have a struggle with sin and it's for us to, to to be involved in the lives of others to be prayer warriors on their behalf to place our hands upon the throne of God on their behalf for Lord you love us all and you want us to live or to walk that path that you have prepared for us before the foundation of the world and gracious God help us to understand that true greatness is to become a servant help us Lord to be willing to do so to be a servant of all for the glory and honour of Jesus Christ in whose precious and most wonderful name we pray Amen